Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. There have been about 385 of them now. And um, if you haven't seen any of the one previous ones, feel free to go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and look under the past interviews menu where you'll find them all organized in various ways. Um, this show is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. So if you appreciate it and feel like supporting it, there's a donate button on every page of the site, batgap.com. There's also a donations page which explains it in greater detail. My guest today is Nicola Amadora, Ph.D. Nicola was born in, did you say Italy or Germany? Germany. Germany. And uh, spent most of her early life living in Germany and Italy. What did you get your Ph.D. in? Transpersonal psychology. Okay. From where? CIS or something? JFK University. And I have a master's in social work from Germany. Oh, great. And reading, I'll read some bits and pieces from your biography here that you sent me. You said that your upbringing was fraught with intense abuse and horrors. We don't need to go into the <laughs> gruesome details of that too much, but uh, maybe it'd be worth touching upon. <laughs> You're going right to the core, aren't you? Yeah, why not? <laughs> we can only go up from here. Good morning, Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I think that was actually, I can see this now as a way of catapulting me very early towards God, um, mm. in, towards awakening. It was for me, because it was so horrific, I um, had to search very, very early or I would have killed myself mm -hmm. or I would have died or gone completely insane. So I went for, you know, I went for it. I don't know, just in the moment, I wasn't brought up with any religious upbringing. In some way, that was a blessing. Yeah. I just went to the church after everybody had left around when I was already eight years old mm -hmm. and just sat in the graveyards and sat in the, in the empty church mm -hmm. and started to try to find what else is here. Where's the light? Where's, the, where's God? Where's love? Mm. I was searching for love. Yeah. Because I didn't get any, you see. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. I could almost make a category on Batgap of people who had horrific upbringings. <laughs> it, it prompted them to, you know, seek God, you know, because there's a saying that, that the angels in heaven aren't interested in enlightenment because heaven's so nice. They don't, you know, what, they don't care. But, um, you know, if, if life is difficult, we have more of a motivation. I think, you know, when it's too comfortable, yeah. you're not really having the pressure. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to have a horrific upbringing. It's just, um, for me, I felt like I was on a fast track this life. Yeah. It was, it was either this life or we're just going to pack up, right. basically. Yeah. And so it started very early. And then I left home when I was about, I think, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. And um, I searched, I just kept praying every step. I, I said, show me, show me where the truth is, show me where the love is. Um, and that's when I met somebody in a tiny little attic. And it was an old woman. And I felt like she was my 
guardian, my, my guide in that moment. Hmm. I opened the door and she said, I've been waiting for you. Wow. So, so she was like this little old spiritual woman. Yes, huh. yes. Very unknown. I just walked into a building where they had some dancing and then I walked upstairs and there she was and then she, I don't even know her name anymore. She hmm. just taught me meditation because that's what I wanted to learn. That's pretty neat. One of the, the second person I ever interviewed on this show um, had a similar experience in Germany. She was, I don't know, she, she was out walking or something and she just ran into this old man herding sheep or something and it turned out he was this really wise teacher and he, he taught her to meditate at the age of five. So there must be people like that in Germany wandering around or hiding out in attics. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was, um, at that time in Germany there was no spiritual book to be found. Hmm. It isn't like today where it's massive amounts of books, everything is available under the sun. There was nothing. There was also no meditation center or anything. It just, you know, I just ran into this woman and she taught me how to meditate. And my first meditation had to do with centering in the heart. Huh. And did you kind of stick with it after that? Yeah, then I went, of course, then I went to Tessé to France. Mm -hmm to be, I don't know if you heard about them, it's like a very pure form of Christianity that's mm. not in terms of, there is no church behind it. It's the monks who hit the Jews during the wartime. Oh. No, and I haven't very, heard of that. It's very beautiful. You just sit on the ground and it's like about 14,000 young people come from all around the world. It's in, in the big tent that just kept expanding one tent after another. And you sit and you chant. All hmm. you do is chant. Wow. And this, yeah. is this still going on today? Yes. Hmm. That's very big. It's, um, people just find it. And then, you know, I went to Mother Teresa after that and went to the Tibetan monks to learn from them. So Yeah, so you say you did that when you were 18. So did you hmm. just somehow get together the money and hop on a plane and go to India and just start all by yourself and just uh, find Mother Teresa and so on? <laughs> <laughs> kind of how you describe. Yeah. It, was, it was like that. It was, I finished high school uh -huh. and um, I just got my money together I, and then went to India. First I went to Sai Baba's ashram mm -hmm. and then I went to Calcutta and that was a huge I would say that was a huge awakening for me right there in Calcutta in the slums. Yeah. How long did you stay with Mother Teresa? Half a year. So I meditated. Just working and. I meditated with her, um, prayed with her every morning in the little chapel. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with her alongside, often in the house of the dying or the children's homes. And we went to the slums pretty mm -hmm. much every day to feed the people. Oh, that's great. And then you. I guess went up to Tibet, did you, or, uh, let's see, Tibetan monks, or were they in Dharmasala or someplace? Yeah, they were at the border of Tibet, and um, I wanted to say something about Mother Teresa, because we, sure. we went very fast, and I think for me, I was looking for a teacher that could, I would look for people who would embody the love, mm -hmm. not just talk the talk, you yeah. know? And Mother Teresa, I remember that morning when I came up in Calcutta, I walked along the streets and I entered her 
little place and I walked up the stairs and there comes this little tiny nun towards me. Mm. And she, she just, I don't know, she just beamed. And so I just asked her, where is Mother Teresa? Where can I find her? And that was and she, her? It was her. Uh -huh. and, she, and she just hugged me and I, I just burst into tears. Huh. I was so moved by the profundity and the purity of her love. Yeah, she was amazing, and she had such a beautiful face, and she did such beautiful work. And then, you know, but then after she died, those letters came out that said, "Oh, I don't have any experiences. I'm, I'm full of doubts and and all that stuff." And did you read that stuff after she died? I did. Yeah, I did. And it is curious because what she was living and emanating was so joyous. And I think you know she didn't have any help to integrate other parts of herself. Mm -hmm. You know, she has the shadow too, like we all do, her humanity. And somehow, I think she didn't have that real support that we have these days. So there's, I think part of her was hanging on the sidelines. Yeah. Well, I must say, you know, I'm much more impressed with someone like Mother Teresa who did such amazing things and, you know, really walked her talk, as you say and claim not to have any inner spiritual experiences than I am with someone who says they're having all these marvelous experiences and they're awakened and they're enlightened and then they treat people like, like dirt. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad you're saying that because that's for me always the marking of, you know, how awake are you really? You don't need to talk about it. You don't need to have the grand experiences, but the, your action shows. The yeah. fruits of your labor show, you know, how you relate. And I see this a lot these days in, in the spiritual scene where there's so much talk about awakening and experiences and yet they treat each other so badly. Yeah. I don't think you could even be a Mother Teresa, do what she did, unless you really had something significant in terms of your who you are, your inner development, you know. Even though she may not have, maybe it was just a mark of her humility that she didn't recognize it in herself. But there must have been really an extraordinary heart, an extraordinary mind, and just something really on fire for God, you know, to have lived the life she lived. This is how you put it, is the truth. I sat with her every day in the chapel, in a mm -hmm. tiny little chapel. It was so simple. And she, her heart spoke miles. Mm -hmm. And her actions spoke massively. Yeah. When I entered the house of the dying, it, I never forget that. And this was a long time ago. It's still so vivid with me where you, I opened the doors and walked through and there is this incredible peace that fills the entire room. And literally there's people, you know, with gapping wounds. It's, this is not a pretty sight. Mm -hmm. And yet the peace is palpable, was palpable in there. Mm. That's beautiful. I remember her saying that she kind of regarded everyone as Christ and she just sort mm -hmm. of felt like tending to this person and tending to this person, she was serving Christ directly. She kind of saw mm -hmm. the divinity in everyone. She did. Yeah. I saw that um, towards, and for me that was, for me, I felt I found a teacher that was showing me through her actions yeah. how to live like that, huh. how how to love Christ or how to love God and everyone. And she did it towards the 
the lepers towards the ones that really nobody wants. Mm -hmm. And she spoke of that wound that that most of humanity carries around is the sense of being feeling deeply unloved or unwanted and unworthy in the world. Mm -hmm. Kind of sounds a lot like Amma now. But <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Amma before we started and uh, you know you, you and I have both been seeing her for a long time. But she says that very same sort of thing about how everyone needs love and so many people don't get it and she just keeps doling it out, you know. And she's even had direct kind of interactions with lepers. You've probably seen that video where mm -hmm. she sucks mm -hmm. the pus out of lepers' wounds and spits, yes. spits out the blood and so on. Um, a little gruesome. But um, the guy ended up getting healing of, healed of leprosy. But... Um, you know, I can see how you would be attracted to her, having also been attracted to Mother Teresa, who was similar in some ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's for me, like I said, for me, the true teacher is the one who walks his her or his talk, mm -hmm. and that's all I wanted. I wanted to know what true love is, and I wanted to. I was on fire. Yeah. I mean, it was like a fire that it it was burning. I didn't want anything else. Mm -hmm. It just was consuming me like day and night. I need because I had grown up with nothing. Mm -hmm. So. So you were there for six months, and why did you leave? It was time. I knew all of a sudden. I just could feel it was time for me to move into the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. I'd never been there, so I packed my bags, and I didn't know how to get there. I just found my way through and <laughs> ended up exactly where I needed to end up, which was high in the Himalayas and I was uh, ended up in a monastery with Tibetan monks. Now I've never heard of them before. It's, like I said, there were no videos or there were no books. What year and, was this roughly? Um, that was when I was 19. Oh, I'm so bad with math and don't make me say my, my age. Or okay, <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah now, now people will know because they can do the math. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just silly. I can't quite remember the year, but it was, again, I was probably, there were only three Westerners there. Mm -hmm. Two were guys. And it was, um, at that time, I think Lomas, Lama Sopa was there too. And um, they just invited me to go on an intensive because I said, I want to break, I want to be liberated. Mm -hmm. That's all I, I want to know the truth of life. I, you know, this is it. And I want to do it within one day. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have time. Okay. Right. <laughs> to wait until I'm 60 or whatever. It just was like, give it to me now. And the whole, and so they said, go on the death retreat. How does that work? Well, now was that interesting? It was, it was the Tibetan Book of the Dying. Yeah, we went through 10 days of pretty much 11, 12 hours sitting in silence. Mm -hmm. And um, on, and it isn't like our meditation halls these days where it's all cushy and nice. This was on bare cement floor, Oof. right? Yeah. And you're after 10 hours, I felt like I can't even feel my body anymore. It ached everywhere. Yeah. But I was determined. I'm not. I'm not giving up. But after the third day of being led through the stages of um, 
feel your body dying, all the cells are dying, all your relatives are dying, everybody you ever loved is dead, you are scrum you you um becoming like dust. I mean it was just like it became very detailed they guided us through. And after a while I thought on the third day, I thought this is it. This is completely stupid. I'm not wanting to die. I'm here, you know, to live. I'm I'm 19, excuse me. And this is not working. So I packed my bags. I oh, went so you, you didn't do the whole 10 days or? Oh, wait, wait. Oh, there's, oh okay. There's, there's a part of the story. Yeah. Um, the story, the plot goes a little longer. So I go down the hill and then I see these monks on the side of the road and they are, are singing to this little mound hill on the side of the road. And I, I looked at them and I, I thought, what are they doing? They're singing to an ant hill. <laughs> I thought, this is crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But I was curious, so I sat down and after a while when they finished their chanting, I asked one of the monks and he said, well, this is the, the ants. The ants are the, every being can have been the mother from, you know, of right. us mm -hmm. in another life. We cannot build the road through their house. Ah. So we're gonna, we enchanted them, we're going to bless them, and then we built the road around their house. Huh. And all of a sudden it hit me. I just realized the depth of compassion they were coming from. Mm. So then I turned around, walked up the hill again, mm. but, you know, got up in the morning at four o'clock in the freezing cold Himalayan air and continued to practice. I just let go of my thoughts and expectations. And at the end, throughout the middle, I just, the gate, I felt the gate opened. Oh. And I just experienced luminous, just, just light, complete light. There was nothing left. And hmm. um, yeah, so after that, it was then that I went to Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, I lived with him. And where was he, in Thailand or Vietnam no. or? No, he lived already. He had started Plum Village in France. Oh, France. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, so how long did you stay with Thich Nhat Hanh? Also, I think about six months. Wow. You yeah. kind of did a greatest hits tour, didn't you? It's like... Went and stayed with all the heavies. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing with the little thing. I'm just going for the full enchilada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, it just was clear. This is what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted that. Mm -hmm. And so, how that, how, what was that like being with Thich Nhat Hanh? Well, Thich Nhat Hanh, of course, was very different than, for example, when I was living with Sai Baba, you know, mm -hmm. or is also different than Ama. Very gentle. Mm -hmm. Um. This Plum Village in southern France, it's so beautiful. Mm. It's full of sunflowers. Wow. And there is such a softness and a sweetness there. Thich built this, it was very small at that time because he didn't, he wasn't known very much. So we got up every hour the bell rang and we stopped to breathe, to pause and to remember present moment, wonderful moment. Mm -hmm. And then um, every morning we walked with him on the meditation walk. 
so in the beginning it was like for me you know you have to remember i was 19 i was you know ready to take the horse and take on the world and ride ahead and set the with the flaming torch and but he was like slow slow down slow even slower and he was also very much about how we relate to each other so we practiced in the in the hall with the monks and the nuns we practiced together mm -hmm. um compassionate relating That's so good. yeah so how long did you stay there it was about half a year too mm -hmm. yeah i just wanted it to go really i wanted to go really deep yeah. he's smiling well, I'm smiling because I'm, I'm enjoying this, and I'm, I think this is kind of working well, just working, going through chronologically the various things you did. You know, it's kind of interesting. We didn't really talk much about the Sai Baba thing, but um, that's all right. But um, it's sort of interesting how you went through these different phases. And I don't know if you remember that song by the band, or if you even remember the band. They were a group uh, in the U.S., but they had a song, they're from Canada, actually. They had a song in which one line was, you take what you need and you leave the rest. And I, I like that little phrase. But um, So you were like a bee, kind of going from flower to flower and taking, getting something from this flower and then going on to the yeah. next flower and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, I was intrigued, you know, I practiced really intensely. Yeah. So I just kept, like, on it. I just used, for me, my whole life, I used, I'm always one who goes to the core, mm -hmm. to the essence, and I use the most essential teachings that, and then practice, you know, and so with Thich Nhat Hanh, it was, I just, I just fell in love with him, you know, Yeah. it's just gentleness, he's so gentle and so simple, truth. To me, is really simple. Yeah. Tim, it was the gentleness. It wasn't the 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 ra I had to stop my fast my fast track. Right. Like the fire horse, the fire horse had to slow down a little bit and feel the ground and feel the nourishment, like the bee, you know, drinking the honey. Yeah. Well, you know, 19-year-olds are usually pretty wild and impulsive. and you know, <laughs> I certainly was. <laughs> yeah, most, most of us were racing around like crazy at that age. <sighs> I was ready to, to, to grow, uh, you know, build a revolution. That's where I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a very wild one. Um, but, you know, that's why I was, afterwards, I went into the jungle. So if we keep the chronological journey. Yeah, let's keep doing that. That's, that's working nicely. So uh, you went from southern France to a jungle. Yes. <laughs> well, first, first I went. I don't know what came first. One was, yeah, I went into the jungle, into the Amazon, because mm -hmm. I wanted to learn from the indigenous people, mm -hmm. and from a real tribe. Right. And you have to remember, at that time, there was there was no. Um, tour books there was no guided journeys by yeah. i just put myself on a bus and hoped i would get there and you don't know if you get there when you're in ecuador and you're going right down the, right down those dirt roads yeah don't know if you're gonna come out alive actually <laughs> i realized that later <laughs> well, 
What were you doing for money all this time? I mean, you must have had some savings or some money or something that you were buying plane tickets with and stuff. No, you know what I did? What? Was I went to, at the same time, so what I did, I went on a journey and then after I came back from Tiknahana, I actually enrolled in social work uh -huh. in a master's degree. And so doing, we had long breaks. So we had like three months summer break and I think a month or two months um, winter break. Mm -hmm. and, in, and during the time I studied, I worked as well yeah. every day. And so any money, you know, my money went, of course, to food and to my studies, but any money I could save aside of that, I just put in a little box mm -hmm. and wrote down my next journey. Mm. So you were getting your master's degree, but somehow or other at the age of 19, you had already gotten a bachelor's degree and you're moving on to the master's? No, it was like first the bachelor's and then, you know, I went towards the master's. So wow. I did it all in one, in one go. One thing. Okay. Yeah. In Germany, you could do it because it's not so divided. You see, in America, mm. it's like bachelor's, master's. Right. But in Europe, it's... Kind of combined. It is combined, especially if you're studying for, like, let's say, social work or engineering. It's it's its own, its own track with right. its own ending, and you can't end before that. Uh-huh. Okay. So you got the Ecuador. I mean, you, were, you went to the jungle, and... Um, Obviously, ayahuasca wasn't fashionable in, in those days, but is that what you ended up doing or was it some other kind of work with no. the indigenous? I never was into using Any kind. these things. Yeah. No, I wanted it the purest of the pure. I wanted it direct. I didn't want to have any, you know, I felt like if I can't access it here and yeah. open to it, the, the rest is just an excursion. Mm -hmm. That's just my... And maybe for other people it will help. For me, it wasn't an option. It was... Um, I just went to them and I remember I stood at the river, on, a, on the bank of a river, and they told me the little villages in my head I had learned Spanish. So I asked them, you know, how to get to this indigenous tribe. And they said, oh, just take that next boat with these guys. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'd never been in the jungle. I didn't have any stuff for preparation that people take with them. No mosquito repellent or whatever. I just didn't know about it. And I didn't really care that much. So as I sat in the boat, I realized it dawned on me. I'm with two guys in a boat. I don't know where I'm going, and I wonder where I will end up. Yeah. I just, in that moment, I just prayed. I asked, guide me where I need to be. Mm -hmm. Guide me to the people that will show me something that I need in order to be able to help others mm -hmm. later. You know, they were, they, they charmed, they charmed, they tried to charm me, and I just made it clear that I'm not available. I told, I'm, I made up that I'm married, uh -huh. the right. <laughs> uh, which I wasn't, but it helped. I climbed out of the boat and then I walked into incredible thick jungle. Um, and I came to this tiny little village. It was like in these, I don't know how to describe it in English, but 
these were just made from leaves, the, the branches, the little huts. Mm -hmm. And we didn't understand, we had no language for each other in terms of human language, yeah? So I had to learn to speak in sign, you know, with hands and my face. Because they didn't even speak Spanish in there, right? They were speaking some indigenous language. Yeah. 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 But you know what was amazing? After a while, when I worked with the women and they showed me how they gathered the herbs and they made the food and I helped them, it was, it was the sense of coming into oneness with them and understanding them. Mm -hmm. It was the heart. All of a sudden, I could feel the heart knows that language. Yeah. And it, it started opening in me more and more. And I began to hear and understand the animals in the jungle mm. and the, the plants. And so they, kept, they allowed me to be there and showed me things. Um, at some point, the shaman came. They had a village, you know, they had a tribal shaman. And somehow he, I don't know if he had a death wish on me or if he took a liking to me. I have no idea. Hmm. But they kind of made it clear. So my, my stay at there was coming to an end and they made it clear that they would like to offer me an initiation. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great, I love that. Of course. I was so curious the whole time to discover. So he he guided me and he said, well, it could mean death. He said, either you end up like this, finished, mm -hmm. or good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I have nothing to lose, you know. Except your life, I don't, yeah. I'm, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, was blindfolded and then they um, put a really heavy weight onto my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And he took the blindfold off. And in that moment, my heart literally, it felt like it stopped. Let me guess, it was a big snake. It was an anaconda. Wow, I just guessed that. Huh. Yeah, you had, you got the transmission from it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And this anaconda shot towards me. He's looking at you. Yeah. yeah. And I could feel she would, there would be, maybe I had 30 seconds yeah. and she would strangle me. Mm -hmm. So this was the moment of great terror. Yeah. And I knew that everything I had practiced thus far had to come in now to help me. Uh -huh. Because what do you do when you stand in the midst of terror? And this is not just an imagined terror or from a past experience. This is like for real. I just knew one thing. I just, my inwardly, I said, ground down to earth. So I felt. I had to feel my feet. I was shaking like a leaf. You know, I was just, I didn't like snakes at that time. Yeah. So she came closer and closer and I just thought, breathe, present moment, wonderful moment. Breathe in, breathe out. I just, I just breathed into my belly. I looked in her eyes and then I let myself feel my heart. I allowed myself to feel the love in my heart and centered. In that moment, it was like by magic, she slowly, she felt it. Mm -hmm. She slowly came down, slowly, mm -hmm. slowly, slowly. And when I was completely connected with her and my fear had just vaporized, she just laid on my belly. Hmm. 
Did you sit down or lie down so she could lie on your belly? Yeah. Yeah. I sat down with her and started stroking her. Wow. I, f I fell in love with that snake. Huh. That's pretty amazing. It was so it was so beautiful because I felt like I got an initiation that was to do with the Shakti. It was to do with the feminine. Mm -hmm. The feminine is the snake and I had been afraid of snakes. Yeah. And she was, the moment I just connected more and more, it was like, ah, here we are. We're, we're, we're one. We're connected. And something opened, like it was really powerful that opened in me and hasn't left me ever since. Yeah, based on your last sentence, I mean, I was going to ask you, so what did you take away from that experience? What kind of permanent effect do you feel that had on you? Maybe you could even just elaborate a little bit on that. They opened in me a power and a connection to the earth mm -hmm. and a sense of like oneness with all the, with all creation. Mm. Um, there was this, this, to this day, I can hear the animals speak to me. I can hear the plants. Mm -hmm. I can, um, I can center in the moment where there's greatest fear. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I don't want to disrupt the chronological story, but... No, but I appreciate those questions. Yeah. Well, at some point we're going to talk about Findhorn. Maybe that's not the next thing chronologically, huh? Okay, because mm -hmm. th this, what you're saying now, relates to that, but let's keep going on the, on the yeah. chronology. So, because it has, it had such a profound impact on me, it was like, you know, with the Tibetans in the mountains, it was illuminating me from here. Mm -hmm. And in the jungle, it came from below. Mm. It was the sense of this darkness, this juiciness, this life force is God, is the goddess, is... I don't even like to use this word. I just use it... I just would like to say it's life force, mm -hmm. and that for me is holy. That is sacred. Yeah. And this is where we so often are connected, yeah? Disconnected. So she opened, she helped me open that up. And after that, I felt I wanted to be more in the wilderness. Well, I can't see this anaconda thing becoming a popular tourist attraction kind of thing, but. <laughs> <laughs> Good that you had that experience. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. It was really frightening. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the shamans, the shamans, you know, if you get an initiation from a shaman, they take you, it's a life and death one. True hmm. shamanic initiation is life, truly life and death. And I don't think many of them, you know, there's not too many Westerners who like to do that, and I understand that. I wouldn't do it if I had my, you know, I have a kid now, so. Yeah, yeah. I felt, to me, it opened me up to the feminine in a very deep way. Mm -hmm. The, what is sacred in, in the living, in the. And so then you said you, uh, you went even deeper into the wilderness, into the jungle mm -hmm. or something? Still, no. still there or somewhere else? I went to, um, so I went, of course, back, worked, studied, and then I went back to, um, in the wild, it was in New Mexico. I wanted, 
with a horse alone into the wilderness. Was it a little so, weird uh, going back to school in Germany after having these amazing experiences, you know, in the, in the jungle and things like that? Believe me, I felt like I was living on in three different worlds. It must have felt like you were from outer space or something, yeah. And I couldn't talk with anybody about it. Yeah. I couldn't share this with nobody because people were not... It, it wasn't the age where people were sharing those things. Yeah. It's like, hey, what did you do on your summer vacation? Well, you know, I got... <laughs> <laughs> well, I hung out with Mother Teresa and I went into the Himalayas. And um, yeah, I actually yeah. You know, got an initiation with an alcohol snake and I barely survived. <laughs> <laughs> cool, I went to the Riviera. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you went back to school and all that and had another session of that and? Well, and I uh, went then to New Mexico. Um, New I Mexico. Was looking, New Mexico. Right. I was looking to find, um, my dream was to find a horse that I could ride in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And as a Western woman, this is not a good idea to go to Mexico, to Spain, yeah, to any place. I needed wilderness. I wanted a horse. Yeah. It needed to be safe from, you know, too much male attention. Right. So you went to New Mexico, the U.S. state. I met somebody who had a farm. Um, this was completely by synchronicity again. Mm -hmm. um, and he had an Arabian horse farm. And I said, you know, I would train a horse for him and... He said, I'll offer you a horse to go out into the wild with wow. and see what it's like. And you, at that point, you actually knew something about training horses? Yeah, I had, with, I had been with horses all my life. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horses are part of my companions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you, you went out into the wilderness of New Mexico with an Arabian horse. Yeah? And her name was Sar. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. We slept under the, you know, we slept under the starlit sky in the in the total wilderness, and just met the elks and the coyote came to my fire, and I just and in that in stillness, all I was craving for was to be still, to really hear the spirit communing through all of nature, mm -hmm. and I knew. I had to be alone and I had to be completely connected with nature in order to hear. Um, and then I fasted. I just didn't eat for two weeks. Just got my water from a stream and rode through the mountains, passes. I didn't know where I was going. It didn't really matter. And it was, I just kept praying, open the gates for me, open the gates. I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering. Just please show me. Um, and it did. I felt like the veils were dropping more and more with every day. Um, and I also had asked for a vision for my life. What is my life's work? What, what am I here to do? Yeah. It wasn't just to, to learn from great teachers. I felt I had a, a calling yeah. to contribute to humanity. I didn't want to just travel around for my own whatever. Entertainment, yeah. Yeah. Right. It was very purposeful. Um, and so what happened was the more I was still and listened and the more I encountered, like I encountered a wild bear and I could come really close to the bear 
And the more I was, I came into harmony with nature, the more I came into my own nature. I just came home more and more. And then, um, I mean, that just still brings tears to my eyes because it's so present right now. Mm. This one one day when I was just sitting and meditating, um, I just heard such a strong voice that just told me what I'm here for. And what did it say? Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe it wasn't in words, maybe it was more of an intuitive thing, huh? Yeah, it was like, you know, to teach that, to be that, yeah. At that, at that time, again, I didn't, I'm glad, I didn't have a concept, I didn't have a book that told me those words. It was fresh, it came very strong and powerful, it was, you, you are that. And bring this love to the world. Hmm. Um, teach that. Hmm. Live that, show that, be that. And in that moment, I just felt, I mean, there was more. You can say more. It's very personal, you know? Yeah, well, you don't have to, but if you want to, people will yeah, find it interesting. It's very deep. It was very, um, and it showed me things that happened in the future, that would happen in the future mm. that had to do, you know, with the center I created, but that also had to do with um, the part of my work in the world. And it it um, illumined me. It just illumined my whole being. It was just the light was just pouring out of me and through me. And I, um, I just felt like everything, I just couldn't move anymore for hours, mm. sitting there and it was like entering into the beyond and yet being at the same time fully here. Mm. Very natural. Yeah. And the eagles started circling me. Mm. Every, all the beings in nature started responding. It wasn't like I was a separate self anymore. It was, I'm part of this. I'm one with this. So from that moment, you know, I had many awakenings, but this moment took me to be very clear. It was very clear where my path was to go mm -hmm. also in the world, because like I said, I wasn't satisfied to just awaken in me or to have experiences, I wanted to be of service. Yeah. This is very important on my, in my life. And so I went with my horse. I went back to civilization. Um, before we get back to civilization, um, did the predictions that that voice uh, give you end up happening, most of them? All of it. All of it? And it was like, like it was like a thunder voice, mm. you know. It was in these reddish mountains. The rock, they're the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. I don't know if you've ever been there. The oh, Sangre yeah. de Cristo Mountains. Sure. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. Outside of Santa Fe or someplace. Yeah. Or Taos. Just further in, way further in. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I've camped uh -huh. there and hiked there. You did. Mm 
It's very beautiful. And um, so this, the, the voice was, and I feel like it's my, it was my own voice, maybe my own being, or it was, I called it God's spirit's voice speaking through the mountains. It was like thunder. It really shook, shook me. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question like that, because I'm always curious about this sort of thing. Um, you know, whether such voices and such inspirations are, are really just some aspect of our own self, our own being, which ultimately everything is. You can take it to that level and say, well, everything is aspect of yourself. Mm, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, or whether there's just these sort of, I don't know what you want to call them, just these sort of beings that, that intercede in human affairs and that help to guide people who are open to guidance and, and that kind of thing. You know, it's just, I find it an interesting thing to, to consider. I think they're both true, mm -hmm. what you just said. Yes, in one way, we're all, it's all our true self reflected, you know, in many... At the same time, there's also that voice, that still small voice, it's called, yeah? yeah. Um, inside of you, you know, the divine in you. And then I feel there's also, my, in my experience, there's also beings that literally come to help. Yeah. So for me, it's both. Yeah, I was just talking with a friend yesterday, and he was saying that and he was, I, he's happier than I've ever seen him. I've known this guy for 40-something years. And um, he, he said he's done some adventures recently. He went to Spain on a spiritual retreat, and then he went to India on a spiritual retreat and got initiated by the Shankaracharya and stuff like that. But he was saying how, every, how he sleeps so much less now, and every morning he wakes up around 4, and he, he more often than not gets these messages. And he says, I know it's not me. There's, there's something something other than me and I just get these little downloads every day of some some knowledge some inspiration so mm -hmm. I found that interesting I think that happens more and more to people these days yeah somehow the veil is thinner yeah mm. and people are more open and people are more ready um, you know I've gotten all my life um, I'm a communicator mm -hmm. I love relating I love communicating I love sitting with you right now and com you know relating with you I am also, I, I relate, I can hear the saints and the sages speaking to me, I can hear the animals and the creatures, and I can also sense very clearly when it's my own, this is my own essence mm -hmm. that's speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And more and more I had to decide, to learn to decipher, to really discriminate what is truth and what is just the mind chatter, you know? Right. The mind can disguise itself as an angel. Sure. And, you know, in one way, it's, it's also the, for, the, the mind in its essence, even the thoughts in its essence, is coming from the life force, is coming from the Shakti. However, it's, it can be so distort, it can create so many delusions. Yeah. So I had to really step really into stillness mm -hmm. to be able to hear true and center here in my heart. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying that. I mean, there's so many people, some of whom I've interviewed, some of whom I haven't, um, who say things like, you know, well, I'm channeling St. Germain or I'm channeling, you know, <laughs> Mary Magdalene or Mother, somebody or Jesus or whatever. And, you know, I I give them the benefit of the doubt, and and you know some, most of the ones I've interviewed who say that sort of thing, I I I pretty much believe. Um, 
But I also have run into people whom I wouldn't invite for an interview, and there was one guy who was trying, um, who just you know said he was channeling all these things, and he just had so much ego, you know, and he just seemed so full of himself, and uh, and I, I just kind of like wonder. I mean, it seems like one can kind of tap into a level of creativity. Some people can, and just kind of speak from there and, and come out with all mm-hmm. kinds of information, but is it really from some higher source or is it just one is just mm-hmm. being creative, you know, they're they're doing a poor imitation of Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or something with their <laughs> with their imagination. I love Harry Potter by the way. <laughs> yeah. I think what you're bringing up is a very important point because there's so many there is so many people who do channelings these days and I have respect for people who are really trying to make sure that they have a pure opening for me I don't practice channeling mm-hmm. because I feel at least in my in my world here it's it's like I don't need to channel another being I just need to be open to the truth from the source directly mm-hmm. and then let it live through me or let it speak through me in this moment. Yeah. And with the channeling, sometimes what I've seen is the ego starts taking it and saying, well, now I'm really special because I get to channel Mary Magdalene. Right. And I, I'm the previous incarnation of her. I, I, my, you know, I hear a lot of people who say, like, I'm, I have been St. Germain and I have been Mary Magdalene. Um, well, there's a lot of people who have been her, apparently. <laughs> and they're all alive at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it's like, you know, this is not special. Um, in one way, it's the most natural thing if we can commune. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, if you channeling, I would say, I would say to those people, you know, if I could give one message, be extra careful and don't make, don't put your ego, don't put the ego on the altar because you, you know, yeah. you're worshiping yourself. And you may not, you may actually be opening up to something other than yourself. But as a friend of mine said, you know, just because you're dead doesn't mean you're smart. So, uh, <laughs> you know, who knows who, what you're opening up to. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that starts coming in because there's a lot of beings who want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and they can even disguise themselves as the holy ones, you know. So I felt like, for me, the guideline was always this. See what, if it's simple, mm-hmm. if it's true, if it's pure. Root in in my body, really feel my body because if I'm not in my body, you know, I'm I'm disassociating somehow. And then sense my heart or feel the love. And then allow this awareness to completely open wide, completely wide, hmm. with no, it's like you, every 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 hold, let's go. And then just be still. Yeah, that's good. And perhaps just as a final cautionary note on this whole theme is. You know, for those who aren't channeling, but who maybe are attracted to some people who are, 
Use your discrimination, you know. I mean, this guy I referred to that wanted to be interviewed and I declined, he had this whole little group of people around him who said, well, so-and-so said this, and, and St. Mm. Ger- Germain, it's actually St. Germain speaking, so we should all do it, you know. And, and yeah, some, some of the advice was very questionable, to say the least. Yeah, people love, they're looking for a father or mother. Mm. You know, a lot of people do. And a lot of people like to look at, oh, there's somebody higher who knows the way. Mm. For me, the discrimination where you can just see, is somebody real? Is that person real? Is that person actually approachable as a human being? Does that person have some maturity? Do they, you know, not perfectly, but do they live what they preach? Yeah. And, you know... I, it comes down, comes down to, you know, I repeat this word maybe too many times, but it comes down to something simple. Yeah. Somebody asked a question, and it kind of relates to what we're saying. It just, this just came in from one of the live viewers. She said, this is Florence from Germantown, New York. She said, Please discuss your experience with how the enlightened mind informs us. I'm not asking about synchronicity and waiting for signs that are too uncanny and arrive mm-hmm. by chance. I'm not asking about intention and attention. Mm-hmm. I'm asking about that something that engages from a higher state of consciousness where there's clarity. And knowing mm-hmm. without words and analysis, even knowing what you didn't know that you didn't know. I think what she's saying is, you know, mm-hmm. did you get it or? Okay. And what she's asking too. Thank you, Florence. By the way, that's her name. Yes, Florence. Yeah. Thank you for that beautiful question. What you're really asking is how to come in to be in direct attunement with the source itself. Yeah, and. I read a previous version of her question, which was a little longer, and I also got the impression she was saying, you know, these impulses of intuition and knowledge and guidance that we seem to get, the kind of thing we, you and I have been talking about for the last few minutes, she, she kind of wants to know more about that and, uh, and how, I think basically kind of what we've been addressing, um, you, mm-hmm. you've, been, you've been talking about clarity and silence as the prerequisite mm-hmm. to making sure mm-hmm. that you're not being confused or misguided or indulging in your own imagination. Yeah, it's also what um, what I want to address is that if you don't pay attention to the shadow aspects of your own self, they will interfere. Mm. But if you if you allow what she expressed the enlightened mind, and I call it also the enlightened heart and the enlightened body, to allow it to completely be open to that what is well let's put it in the words of that what is infinite that what is internal but that what is also it's it's pulsating in every cell of yours right now Mm. yeah you can feel it in your smile rick right Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's right now present between us Mm -hmm. and you can sense it because you're opening yourself to it And in that moment, we're dropping into the silent communion with each other. But it's also what Florence asked is, 
this is the place when you the most you drop open the awareness is expanding the mind is still and you enter the heart starts blossoming there's love and in that moment the source communes it's not as a separate thing it just is communing right now with us you can feel how the energy starts shifting right now with us mm. yeah 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 and i would suggest that it's it's good to find a means whatever works for you to culture that <clears throat> unbounded awareness if you want to call it that so that it's not something you you just want to try to tap into occasionally but something that becomes the bedrock of your life you know thank you wh whether thank you. whether you're sitting in meditation or driving in a traffic you know intent yeah. intense traffic that's that's there as the background or even the foreground of your experience i would say all my spiritual practice has led to this that i can do this in this moment with you mm -hmm or can drop in easily yeah it is actually where i would say you do need spiritual practice for and at some point all those practices all these techniques fall away mm -hmm. but until then it's good to practice to you know this is where meditation practice comes in handy yeah that's what ama says since we spoke about ama she says you know if you're crossing a river in a boat, there will come a time when you're going to get to the other shore and you'll, you'll want to get out of the boat, but don't do that in the middle of the river. You know? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and that's where it's good you have your oars. You practice, you know, awareness and you practice the lovingness. Mm -hmm. One oar is the awareness, one oar is the lovingness. And mm -hmm. you practice, you know, being loving to others and caring, but also being mindful of what you're doing and what's happening. And at some point, the oars drop away mm -hmm. you step out of the boat yeah and that's how I've that's how I always have seen how a true communion is actually strengthened what yeah. can even happen before the vessel isn't open we do have a personality we do have a mind if that isn't um, aligned your connection is gonna get wacky yeah, I, I read someplace on your your website. You you say, well, I'm I don't consider myself enlightened, um, and I don't know if I consider anybody enlightened. If if we understand that term to mean some kind of ultimate final, you know, realization <laughs> beyond which there's no possibility of any any further, you know, growth or development. Um, I I don't know if I've ever met anybody who would claim that. Even possibly Ama. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's always going to be some kind of boat. I feel, in my experience at least, you know, I have these, I had immense illuminations. I mean, they're just beyond, they come out of a storybook, mm -hmm. the kind of experiences I've had throughout my life. And yet there was always a phase where the personality came in and old stuff came up and I had to deal with it in order to integrate it. Mm. And I thought at some, that was the time where it was really naive. I said, that's it. It's it. It's done. We've really done. <laughs> yeah. 
At but least then, you hope so. <laughs> I think, you know, it's the, the mind wants to be done with it. I want to package it up and put it in a box and then I did that. Yeah. But it doesn't work that way. My experience is more, the more I open into that stream of grace and the more I allow my my being to take hold of me, it it does bring up, it treaches up old stuff. It brings up things that, you know, from way back, whatever lifetime, it doesn't matter. It wants to, I almost feel like this, this love wants to bring everything home. Mm-hmm. And the, the bigger the, the bigger the opening, the bigger the illumination, the more there is space to bring even more home. The bigger the bucket, or the container, the more mud you can dissolve in it, you know, if it's water. Yes. You know, you can, yes. If, it, yes. if it's an ocean, you can throw a lot in. But even that yes. even that theory is being tested these days, <laughs> the junk we're throwing in the ocean. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's uh, in question, I would say. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I just feel that when uh, when we open deeper and, and surrender at the same time, it's just fine dance, you know, that you can't, mm. it's, Building that clarity, opening to that clarity and that stillness, and then at the same time, um, then also to surrender. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, with, with Amma, for example, there's a lot of devotion, which I really appreciate. And yet sometimes I feel there's the element missing of the awareness. Mm-hmm. So for me, it needs both mm-hmm. the devotion and then the. the it's almost like a non-attachment to anything. Mm. That stillness. Do you remember Peace Pilgrim? You know who Peace Pilgrim was? Yes. Yeah, yes. I encourage people to look her up, and there's this little book um, called Peace Pilgrim. You can read about her life. But um, she was this woman who just basically walked around the United States for years with nothing but her a pair of sneakers and you know her clothes on her on her body and and no money, no food, everything was just, and she just threw herself, herself on the mercy of of the divine to take care of all of her needs and it it worked out for her. But the reason I brought her up is that um, she has in her book this little chart that she drew about how at a certain stage you know you're kind of making progress but it's by virtue of individual effort, there's individual effort involved. She said you reach a certain junction point where the individual just really surrenders and um, and at that point, your progress really accelerates, but it's, it's it's really because you're kind of you've reached a point at which you can be out of the way and just let nature take care of it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, the hundred percent effort and then the hundred percent surrender. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to you have to walk up the mountain, and then in order to fly, you jump off the mountain, and it. Yeah. The, the fear is initially that it will not carry you. Mm. The, the air, the wind won't carry you, but the, uh, the divine force is carrying us all the time. It's just the mind gotten stuck a little bit. Yeah. Well, it sounds like in your life you definitely did the effort phase, you know, with Mother I'm Ju- German, uh, sir. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Germans are hard workers. <laughs> you know, notorious for that. Um, I know, they're just good to have a little bit Italian fun. Yeah, yeah, good mixture. So we kind of left you uh, leaving the jungle and going back to school, and uh, let's get back to the chronology here. What, what next? 
Oh, until the wilderness journey, the vision quest. Oh, yes, the horse, right, out in the, with the Arabian horse in the wilderness, and that was a very profound and significant one. And then you, yeah. But at a certain point, you, you came back to civilization. Yeah. And then I just knew that I had to, I just had to get the skills in order to contribute to mm -hmm. the, you know, the environment. I was very passionate about ecology and mm -hmm. still am, social justice. I feel um, my, um, and to, you know, really I saw so much suffering in people. I just saw it in their eyes right away. Yeah. I saw it in their heart. And somehow, somehow my sight opened at the same time and I could feel not just my own, but also other people, the suffering. So I dug in and just so okay, find skillful means to help relieve suffering in this world and bring happiness. Mm -hmm. So what did you do? Pursue more education or, or mm -hmm. what? Yeah, okay. I felt like I needed... I, for me, I'm very much into whole, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like um, spirituality has always been my number one. Oh, but I felt you need skills in order to communicate, right, with yeah. each other. You need skills how to deal with your shadow material, yeah. Um, and you need skills to, you know, lead people. How to, you need to know how to grow a vegetable garden. This, I can stand there and be in my lumen self that's just being, yeah. I just be and beam, but nothing. I'm not going to grow a vegetable garden unless I learn how to, you know. Put the plants in and water them. Yeah, well, good point. I wouldn't want the Dalai Lama to do brain surgery on me or something. He doesn't have the skills, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, <clears throat> and I felt my my path has been very much about, you know, embodiment, like living it with, well, I did a lot of social action service and a lot of environmental service as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what I did. And I went to Fintorn. You may have noticed I interviewed David Spangler a few months ago. Did you, was David there at that time? He was briefly and he already had left. Uh -huh. So it was, it was only Ellen Keddy was the main person. She was there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And so uh, what did you do at Finland? You were there for seven years, it says. Yeah, I was working there as an educator mm -hmm. and worked, basically it gave me the training to work with lots of different people mm. from all different countries. Uh, it was an excellent training. It was really hard work. Um, living in community was not the easiest. It's like a washing machine. Yeah. You just get tumbled and tumbled and you wonder, when is the pause button being pushed? <laughs> Where is the stop button? Yeah. yeah. So it was a good training. And I was also, I gave birth there for my, with my daughter. Mm. Um, and then uh, I just felt at, after seven years, I felt like it's time to move on and create what, what wants to be created from that vision that I had gotten. Yeah. Would you say that that vision that you had out in New Mexico when you were out there with fasting and with the horse, if there was one watershed moment in your life where it was a big shift, big turning point, was that it? 
one of them. Okay. I had after that many. I had so many. It was like it just kept going. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was one of them. And it, yeah, that was clear. Feel free to tell us some more as we go along here, if there's some sig okay. significant ones you want to talk about. Okay. There's probably, there's probably two more major ones that okay. I can, uh, you know, speak of. Mm -hmm. um, so we're fast forwarding a little bit because then I was in California already and mm -hmm. I was, you know, created a spiritual educational center for families, for couples, for women and, and um, leaders and just taught and we had this amazing permaculture garden, mm -hmm. and temples and it was very, it was very beautiful. It was like a model of how you can live in a holistic way on this earth together. Um, but in that time, I had several of several things happened. I mean, maybe I should share. So something happened that was really, really hard in my life. And it had to do with this beautiful center that I had built up. At that time, I was married. And um, my ex-husband, I could, I could feel that he was going, going off the deep end by um, being involved with the stock market. <laughs> yeah. So we had a non-profit organization and uh, it, was, it was going really big and beautiful. Um, but he did things that were for me out of alignment and not, not an integrity. Um, and it put our center at risk. It yeah. put it, you know, one day I found out he had basically made enormous debt and we had nothing to eat anymore. Yeah. So this is when I went to the mountain because I was, I was shaken to the core. It was like, I put in everything. I put my heart in, I put my life in. Um, I thought we were going the right direction. <clears throat> and here the rug was being pulled under me. Why? Yeah. And I just, I went actually to Mount Shasta. Mm -hmm. I uh, spent, Again, this is what I do when I really want to commune in a deep way and really open. It was like, you know, I just said, you, you're ripping everything away. I've done, I've done what, I, what I meant to do. What now? What's going on? So after I went through the phase of grieving and shaking and, you know, the fear of what's going to happen, day again, I entered this, I just opened into this deep silence. And in that moment, I just said, okay, I just surrender my entire life. I just surrender even deeper. There's nothing else I could do. Because it hurts so bad to lose what you built up with so much love and labor. Mm. Um, and I had already at that time, I had a daughter and she was um, so... And the news I had gotten on the center, you know, and then my ex-husband were so bad. I mean, I'm just skimming the surface right now on it. So it was like, okay, if, if you want me to let go of this too, I just, I felt I'm being stripped. And from there on, it felt like my, I've been stripped. Everything was going, like my center was going, my money was going, my, my car got smashed by a truck. I mean, it went 
you know, I mean, it went extreme. Your marriage sounds like your marriage was going at that point. <laughs> the marriage was going. Yeah. I was. I divorced him, and everything went like it had blossomed, and then it. Boom. It was like the mandala the Tibetans built with so much care, mm. and then they blow, mm. and it's all gone. It's easy to do when you have a sand mandala, but it's your life, and it's your entire life. It hit me hard. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. So I just, I just like I watched it how it went. I mean, it was like work, everything. It was. You know, and after three months, I was stripped bare. Mm. So this is when I went to the mountain and I just said, okay, what do you want? And it was, what do you want was not asking just God. It was asking my, my being, who I am. And I was, I was finished. I laid on the ground on the mountain and I said, I don't want anymore. I'm done. I just pack up, get me out of here. Um, and I remember that moment where I just, I kept, I just allowed myself to surrender even deeper. And it was unbelievable what happened then. It was just, again, it was the sense of the gates just opened and there was a grace that poured through. I just wept. I just wept. It just wrote. I literally lifted me up from the ground. I stood up. I just stood there and it was like illuminating everything. And I just heard, for this you are born. And I just stood in that for the longest time and it was, I just felt it's grace. There's no words that can capture that. And yet it felt not out of this world. It felt so the most natural thing that could, I felt, where have I been before? Mm. And then people started lining up and asking for blessings out of the blue. Huh. So when it said, for this you were born, uh, what it meant, what, what that realization was, this inner experience you were having at that moment, you were born to have this awakening, this realization. Is that what you meant by that? I think it meant more like, for this you're born, for this you live this. This is who you are. This. Live this. This. This light. This light. This love. Right. Okay. This love that was pouring through. So it wasn't so much that you were born to do this project or that project. No. It was more to just live this light. Live this, yes. Wherever you go, live it unabashed, radical, mm -hmm. soft, tender, fierce, doesn't matter. Be true to this. Mm. So, and, go ahead. Yeah. My German, yeah, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was just going to say, so people started lining up for blessings. And what did that mean exactly? How were you, you offering know, blessings? I just, people came. I didn't know what I would do. This mm -hmm. wasn't planned. This wasn't, this felt so natural. One person I just touched and on their heart or on their forehead. Another person I said the right words and they burst into tears. Mm. Some people had major openings in their hearts, some people felt sweetness, some people are just offered a word. It it was like, oh, this is easy. Hmm. This is easy. This is how it's supposed to be. In some ways it feels like to the mind it feels like this grand miracle. But really in the heart of heart it felt so 
This is natural. Yeah. It's just as simple. Um, and so I just could feel, okay, so this is, you need to keep allowing this. Mm. Just allow it. That's great. And uh, I could ask you when this was without revealing how old you are. Where, where, oh, uh, where are we at now in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's about, that's about seven years later, I think. Six years, five years, five Five years later, yeah. Later than later than what? Um, when that happened on the mountain. Oh, late. Okay. Late. I mean, so we're talking about this happened ten years ago, twenty years ago. That happened ten years ago. Ten years yeah. ago. Okay, good. So, two thousand six or something. Yeah. Okay. Approximately. Yeah. Eight years. Eight years or so. And these days it seems like you're doing a lot of different things i mean if i look through your website there are so many different types of things that you do with people or for people um you know various uh, anybody can go to your website and look at all this stuff but you know relationship counseling and feminine wis wisdom and leadership and um, you know all kinds of courses on mindful parenting and um, the heart of relating and uh, all kinds of things. I mean, you can enumerate some of them. So somehow or other, you took this experience of the light and again channeled it into s service in the world, concrete service. Not just you weren't content to have it be a, a lovely subjective experience. Yeah, I I always have many pots on the stove. Yeah, <laughs> I always try to be just teaching satsangs mm -hmm. or just to um, write, you know, teach on a particular subject. I can't. Right. It's like, it's like the jungle. I'm a, I'm a plant of many flowers. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I ha the main thing is that it comes from the source directly. So the outlet for me is like, I can see how I, I see in the world that a lot of problems are is happening in relating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Between people. Between people so that we we can have all this awakening but we still don't relate with each other. Yeah. In Not only on an individual level, but I mean, you know, the, the Congress can't talk to its each other, the the factions there and, yeah. and, and the the whole millions of people in the population who align themselves with one or the other of those factions yeah. can't talk to each other, sometimes within the same family. So there's definitely a, a sort of a, a gulf or a rift that probably could yep. needs healing. Yeah, so I work in, in that field, like unconscious relating, mm -hmm. like teaching people the, the skills, but also helping them to really connect with each other. Yeah. yeah. Because I feel it's needed. We need this on this planet right now. Because if we can't figure out how to go forward together, this is not going to last long here, our, our planet, to be able for us to live on. So that's one thing. And then, you know, I love working with leaders and, and with women leaders because I just feel that deep connectedness to life. Where I'm not working on the transcendent level, but more like the imminent. Mm -hmm. Okay, this life is sacred. How can we as leaders bring this into the forefront? and not just with some woo-woo talk, but really concretely. 
Now, how can we actually lead the people in a way in the right direction that is empowering, that is collaborative, that is honoring the life force in each? So, you know, how can we bring this very, very spiritual level down to the ground, like really, and then make an impact? You know, we've walked, I helped organize a, a march, you know, to go against, to end sex trafficking for young girls mm -hmm. in Oakland just recently. Mm -hmm. And I just feel that's where, that's where it needs to go to, into our actions. And for everybody that's different, what area, but, for me, this is the darkest pit, mm. the sex trafficking with girls. So this is where I bring my love in and my light in. And sometimes it takes, you know, it takes a bit of a nerve to do that because these areas are, these areas are not pretty. Yeah. But how do we bring home everything? Each other, when we sit with each other, when we relate, whether it's in a couple or in a big, uh, you know, Congress across nations. How do we how do we actually find the bridge to peace with each other mm. and then create the what we need in this world? So for me, it's like bringing it really down into into form. A question came in which relates to what you're just saying. Um, this is from Mark Peters in Santa Clara, California. He asks. How do you relate to the rise in global threats like climate change, fierce nationalism, nuclear, nuclear proliferation, etc.? Have your awakenings allowed you any deep insights about this? And yes. I, I just want to add a little bit to his question before you respond. And, and that is that I've always felt that... Um, just let her respond. Oh, Irene says just let you respond. Okay, you go ahead and respond. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add later. I love hearing you too, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw this a long time ago. It was, again, when I was 18, I saw what was happening in the world and where it, where it might go. There was still, you know, ways that it could shift and do differently. But we are in this time where everything comes to the edge. Like, it's everything. You either, humanity either wakes up now and takes the, takes the you know, the wheel through their, you through your essence and just turns the ship or we um or, i mean i don't or I the don't ship goes go down hits the iceberg or something well we are we're in a, kind of like on a titanic yeah yeah we already hit the iceberg <laughs> we're just but the part that is, this is, for me, it's the greatest, the greatest challenge at this moment in time. I know I'm born for that time. Mm -hmm. And many, many who are, many people are. It's, and it is an incredible opportunity right now. Yeah. Because we, if, if, in my experience was the power and the, in the, the genius and intelligence that's available when we really connected to the source. It's unprecedented what we can do. I forget what it is. Maybe you know this. I, I heard someplace that the, the roots of the word crisis are related to the word opportunity. You, you know that saying? It's yes. that somehow yes. crisis is opportunity or offers opportunity. 
I think it offers a tremendous opportunity. And it's also, there's a saying that in the deepest, darkest crisis, it's when the feminine will rise. Mm. You know, and in the non-dual wisdom, there is no feminine masculine, and yet there is the feminine force of creation. And she always came in, in the old ancient stories, like with Dorgara or uh, Tara. Mm -hmm. She always comes, Kali, mm -hmm. she comes in the time of the greatest challenge when humanity doesn't know where to go and what to do anymore because it has run against this, has run itself into the ground. So I can sense, and this is what I'm dedicated to in my work, is to bring even more, to help the feminine to come forth even more, not just as the woman, but in the man too, that deep power of life. Mm. Having said that just now, what do you feel about the fact that the man who sort of bragged about molesting women got elected even by a majority of, of women voters? What does that yep. tell us? Well, it tells us where part of the consciousness is on the planet, mm. I think, very clearly. Part of humanity is still in, a, in another age and consciousness stuck. And I, I think that, for me at least, it doesn't mean feminine, just saying, it doesn't mean woman necessarily, yeah? the feminine forces in you as well as in me. However, you know, the guy who got, I call him the who know, the one who's, who should not be named. Right. <laughs> I love Harry Potter. Right. <laughs> Well, we have a complete insane person, and from a very, from a more awake perspective, you look at this person as either this one is bringing suffering to the planet, there is no question, and that is sad. However, at the same time, there's a tremendous opportunity because he's doing so many bad things that he's waking literally people up. And it's in the outrage where you find your love, where people starting, they, they even, the people who usually go to sleep on politics, even they are getting on and starting to wake up and saying, okay, we've got to do something. On one level, on a very, you know, and then non-dual level, there's nothing happening. Yeah. But you know what? We're on planet Earth and I think we have incarnated for a reason. It is much more challenging to say, yes, I have this illumination and now I'm going to bring it into action. Yeah. In this world as it is. And this means with, with who should not be named. That's the time where people need to, to rise up and stand up. Mm. Yeah, I like this uh, thing you just said about on, on the non-dual level, nothing is happening. But obviously, there, there's a... This point often comes up in in these interviews, which is that that's the, not the only. If you're a living being, then that's not the only level on which you reside. It's it's one dimension. Exactly. It's perhaps the most fundamental yes. dimension. And there's another dimension in which things are happening, but everything is perfect just as it is. But then there's another right. dimension in which things are happening and they aren't perfect, and we need to yeah. fix, we need to fix them. You know, and so one not, none none of those three levels kind of negate or obviate yes. the others. Yeah, I appreciate that you bring that in because that's why I feel the the spiritual scene, as I call it, has gotten a little stuck in the field of 
nothing is happening, everything is perfect as it happens. And sometimes I perceive it, it is used as an escape yeah. from being involved and engaged. For me, you have your awakening now, now put your hands to work, put yeah. your feet in, put your heart in, love until it's like love to the end, no matter what. I think a lot of people got kind of tired of the nothing is happening, everything is perfect <laughs> thing, you know. Uh, yeah, and it's like a lot, a lot more people started talking about embodiment, you know, and uh, that's that sort of theme. And you know, let's just what you're saying. Let's let's bring this into into some kind of practical application. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, who should not be named is as disastrous in my opinion is it he is at the same time he's such a blessing because he's just like okay he's just pushing it's he's making it so bad that it pushes on everybody he's bullying everybody in the schoolroom, right and mm. he's pushing you can take it as an opportunity to say okay what is true here for me can i actually bring myself to do some action in a way that honors and and really loves life yeah the thing i was going to add to mark peter's question was just that all these problems climate change and nuclear pro proliferation all the all the things happening in the world i've always seen that kind of thing as as symptomatic of something deeper and it's not just deeper in the sense of economic or or decisions being made by politicians or anything like that. The, those things are reflective of the collective consciousness, which means your consciousness, my consciousness, every seven billion people, their, the quality yes. of their consciousness taken collectively expresses itself in a certain quality of society and quality of life and quality of economics and politics and climate and all that stuff. So it's really... There's an interesting consideration, which is, I mean, back in the late 60s, early 70s, there were people like myself who were meditating and who thought that social action and so on was superficial. We should just really change our consciousness. And then the, the people who were engaged in protest and so on thought the meditators were lazy and, you know, just sitting on their butts mm -hmm. and going into withdrawal. And I think there's been a sort of a merging now where people mm -hmm. feel like you can have both and you need both. And one without the other is, is incomplete. That's exactly, yeah, thank you for bringing it up. It's like the two wings of the bird to fly. Yeah. You need your connection. You need to be able to be in the peace and in the deep centeredness and connectedness. And then you need to act because we are making an impact in the world, whether, yeah. Mm -hmm. So meditation doesn't become a bailout, but also action doesn't, come from a disconnected frantic like save the world hell <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's more letting i call it you know letting your true nature live through you and mm. and impacting the world yeah i guess one way of looking at it is we can think of ourselves as conduits you know That's which good. is uh, we use I, I could use the word channel also i don't mean to associate that with channeling that we were talking about earlier but i mean don't you kind of feel like you dip into this source of divine wisdom and then it's like a sponge that has soaked something up and you can now go and squeeze it and you know water some nourish something <laughs> that needs that <laughs> nourishment it, it kind of comes through you in waves of, of yes. uh, yeah 
Yeah, it's like um, I see it often as I receive the waterfall of grace. Mm -hmm. It floods through me, it fills every cell, it nurtures, and then it just I'll pour it out further. It's another waterfall flowing down to mm -hmm. feed the people, to feed the land. I mean, how else does the divine get expressed into the world if not through the various forms of life that it has created, you know? So we can be very powerful conduits for yeah for various influences and it's it's good to be yeah. on good to be on the team of the good guys <laughs> <laughs> we certainly are in a fierce battle right now but i feel it has to come it comes from the deep love yeah, yeah for recognizing people the plants the animals all life this is one life but it's it's not a concept it's mm -hmm deeply felt and experienced and therefore I love it loves itself and mm. in, in moments when you know just when I really wide open I can experience the whole universe loving itself mm. all the plants all the creatures it may sound funny to you but it's making love to unto itself it's in a grand dance of an enormous an incredible love affair mm. and that love when it can be expressed even in the most simplest form as me looking into your eyes with you know or us relating in a in a loving way mm -hmm. it has an outlet and it it can it can it's starting to circle it's a movement and in that movement everything is included there is nothing left out there is not the Muslim left out and there's there's not the, you know, even your darkest shame and anger all gets to be included in that love. Mm. I mean, that's not a concept. That's for me a direct experience. And when that started opening up in me, I was I was like, oh, my God, the whole earth is making love to itself. Mm. It's in this exquisite, just profound, sacred lovemaking all the time. <laughs> yeah, someone used to say that the, the whole creation is just the, the self-interacting dynamics of consciousness. Sort of there's nothing but that interacting with itself and through that interaction giving rise to the appearance of all these forms and phenomena. Yeah. And it's it's also extremely vulnerable and intimate. Vulnerable and intimate, yeah. Very. It, it, you know, I include the humanity, our bare humanity is included in that. And sometimes that consciousness, uh, spiritual talk is so removed from, ah, this is the consciousness and here's your humanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is, this vessel, this humanity, this utter vulnerability and intimacy is the is it yeah you know I mean if if it's true and it is that it's all consciousness and we are one one person ultimately uh, that appears one ocean that appears as separate waves and so on then then everything that is taking place in the world is, is taking place within us and uh, the fact that some, what, 
I don't know how many million people are in prison in the United States, a larger percentage per capita than any nation in the world by far. And that there's things like, you know, they came out of the news, Amnesty International just revealed that there's this prison in Damascus where 13,000 people have been hanged in, in the recent years and, and all these people are being tortured and all that stuff. I mean, that kind of thing, it, we may not be aware of it. You know, these, it might be kind of out of sight, out of mind that all these people are s- stuck in those situations, but it's very much part of our own personal yes. consciousness. Yes. It's happening with, yes. within me and within yes. you and within within all yes. of us and and if it's like a malignant cancer that we're not aware of yes. yet or something but it's still doing its thing and it may be spreading and we're not yes. going to really be healthy until until that malignancy has been has been cured that's that's beautifully said mm. that's that's where i resonate with is this is because i experienced this in my body mm-hmm. when you say those things you feel it i feel it in my whole being yeah because i'm connected right and how can i then people ask me how can you not how will you not drown in it yeah and there's Mm. all this suffering because we are in a sea of suffering that's what the buddha said yeah however it's like this is where the bodhisattva vow comes in Mm -hmm. i will walk awake i will i will let that love lift me even till the last has come home Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not turn a blind eye to, to what is here. Yeah. I remember when I was a, a fairly new meditator, I had a girlfriend that was going off into heroin addiction, and, and I, I was really upset about it and, and stuff, and I, I spoke to my meditation teacher, and she said, be an ocean. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if that was... Totally practical advice in terms of <laughs> helping my girlfriend. I, I've heard that she's in a in a psychiatric hospital to this day. But um, mm. but somehow that "be an ocean" phrase always stuck with me. And in mm. terms of having this sort of oceanic capacity mm. to absorb, not absorb, but to dissolve mm. anything that mm. comes into our awareness and to not be polluted by it, but you know, mm-hmm. to be able to dissolve it and continue to be an ocean. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sorry about your girlfriend. Yeah. It must have been painful. Yeah, I remember uh, I was in an encounter group at the time, and I, I told them about what was going on, and I just broke down and sobbed for about 15 minutes. Mm. People were hugging me, and I was sobbing, and you know, I finally kind of sobered up. But it was a painful thing, and because you know, I really wanted her to live a happy life and I could see that the, at the direction she was going it wasn't going to work out that way but mine was going in a different direction and I had to keep, yeah. had to keep going yeah you were parting ways yeah in the, in the, in the ocean <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's the that's you know what you you just you allowed your heart to break with it yeah I did uh, and it yeah. doesn't happen that often you know I'm not the type that just sort of cries easily but about every 10 years something really moves me (laughs) (laughs) that's funny i cry every day (laughs) i wouldn't i have a friend who does that you know he's he i guess i won't mention his name because he told me that privately but he's he's a spiritual teacher whom i've interviewed and and a very sweet guy and um 
he just says he he pretty much cries every day when he watches the news or many many other things and he's not like some moody mushy mm-hmm. kind of guy he's very clear very strong uh, but he just feels things so deeply and yet he has the capacity to feel them and you know not be thrown off kilter by the by that yeah yeah I do that too yeah. things touch me very deeply yeah. I cry very easily I love I laugh very easily yeah. and um, and you know when I hear of suffering it hits me very deeply at the same time I let it move I let it move mm-hmm. it's like let the ocean wash it let mm. the, let the ocean tears wash it through because if my heart cannot be open I have nothing to give really mm. so um, and it allows me you know the vulnerable this takes some courage to be vulnerable but um, I think you can you can bring that vulnerability together with um, the deep rootedness of being one in the ocean that all washes through and at the same time you so te- you so deeply touched by everything yeah this brings up an interesting question actually and that is can such openness and vulnerability be actually intentionally cultured or is it more that some people are wired that way and some people aren't so in my experience in working with people and then for my own self too i you can you can cultivate that mm. some people are naturally wired more into the you know into that area but you can definitely cultivate it it's it's um it just takes a bit courage and it takes some skillful means to be able to open it and to allow it to and then but you definitely can no question yeah and another question related to that is if a person doesn't have the inner strength maybe maybe not being so open is a is a useful protective mm-hmm. mechanism you know because they're just yeah. going to really be overwhelmed by things yeah. so that you yeah. need to have a certain foundation right in order to you do yeah you need you have a, you have to have a, a you know fairly solid foundation not perfect but you have to have a foundation you know that's grounded more spiritually but also you got to you got to have a bit of a healthy ego in place too mm. like in order to let it melt yeah yeah no that's an interesting point too i mean so many things we could talk about but see, some people say well get rid of your ego destroy your ego but there are definitely certain spiritual traditions say yeah that that may come at some point but first you have to build it up and make sure it's you know really a healthy yeah. one before you can talk about going beyond it yeah and for vulnerability my my sense is in order to be able to be really vulnerable you have to develop a capacity to be fully present mm-hmm. to be really present and to also be rooted in your body mm. otherwise you walk around in the street oh my god this is so intense I've, you've seen people yeah. yeah i mean i've seen people that oh, i can't go into walmart it'll just overwhelm me yeah, <laughs> that's right yeah and that's where yeah for me it's like i have this um i see it as the lotus flower yeah the, the open heart is the lotus flower mm-hmm. but it has its roots really deep in the earth in mm. the mud yeah and then when you really solid ground you know and i call it you know really grounded here in that what is life sustaining that holds me that gives me enormous strength i feel like i'm i'm a tree you know and mm. i walk into walmart i still feel open i actually don't walk into walmart you use one of those little motorized carts, right? I don't 
don't like that store because, <laughs> you know, I have a bit, you know, it, it sells on the Yeah, switch. I know what you mean. Clothes, yeah, you yeah all that stuff from China and everything. But um, yeah, that's just a case in point. But yeah, that's a good question because that's what's feared so much. But I feel the vulnerability is actually your entrance to your true nature. Coming mm -hmm. back to the how of it, would you kind of say that, and some people actually criticize me for being such a proponent of practice because I myself am a practicer and they say, you know, but do you feel like that there is on this point we're making about being strong enough to be open, strong enough to be vulnerable, that it's not just going to hit you on the head one of these days, it's more like some kind of regular practice of some sort on a daily basis is going to help to culture it. Yes, yes, it does help to culture it when you sit every day and you actually practice meditation, you mm -hmm. practice and that's rootedness, not a transcendent meditation, I wouldn't say that will help you. Wouldn't say um, that what? Not transcendence meditation, mm -hmm. that doesn't help for that. You need to have a practice that's, that helps you to be in your body, that helps you to, allows you to be there with all your feelings that are rising and feel them without getting completely entangled in the story. You need to be able to, you know, uh, let that awareness expand in you and, mm. you know, be present, really. These are, these are tools, actually. I'd say there's also a time for transcendence, you know, I mean, yes. kind of, a, there's a time to dip the, the bucket into the well, and there's a time to pull it out and use the well water. Um, well said. Or there's other analogies you could use, too. There's a time to take the cloth and dip it into the colored dye, and there's a time to bleach it in the sun. So I think that's absolutely right. But but I, I hear you in terms of transcendence being used as a sort of an escape, and you, you try to just take continual refuge there without integration. That's not healthy. Yeah, and that vulnerability is so often is is feared the most mm -hmm. because. We've gotten hurt there yeah, yeah. early on. Mm -hmm. And the imprint is, if I'm open, I will be hurt. It's a very simple story and the mind goes on survival plane and says, I will never go there. I will never have that happen again. And then if you, if you start cultivating, you are much more you know, centered in yourself, then you can actually be vulnerable, allow yourself to be open and let the error move through you. You will feel pain, but you will not suffer. Mm -hmm. And that's something to learn, you know, where you're not holding on to that error that just hit you. Somebody said something not nice to you in when you walk, or somebody betrayed you or left you, yeah. For me, when I had my own experiences of, you know, betrayals, I was like, how can I keep my heart open even with that? It seemed insane. My mind said, close down. What are you, hell are you doing? <laughs> and there was this deeper commitment in me. Even with this, I shall stay open. Yeah, I mean, that, was, that example of when your husband at the time squandered all the money of the organization in the stock market and the whole thing collapsed, your response was to go and get as open as possible up on Mount Shasta. <laughs> that 
that took all my deepest commitment. If I didn't have that deep vow to truth or to love, I would never be able to do that. Yeah. It's, and for me, that um, enabled me to say, okay, open up even to this mm -hmm. and even wider. What I found though, Rick, was the beauty of it was it was excruciating painful, but once I let it open, I let myself open through it, there was only more love that I found. Mm. Yeah. That, that was the beauty of it. So the pain didn't become so frightening anymore to me. <laughs> well, geez, I mean, you'd face down an anaconda. I mean, after, after that, everything is <laughs> a piece of yeah. cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and a lot of betrayals and, you know, heartaches and, you know, pains left and right. And I was like, the path is full of swords. I'm like, when does this end? And yeah. I just realized it didn't end. It had to do with me turning towards it and fully, fully open to it. Mm hmm and in that moment, I just felt, okay, I can feel all the pain and I just, it doesn't knock me out anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything other than I open even to greater love. <clears throat> yeah. Kind of like, welcome to life on earth. Yep. <laughs> There's always going to be stuff like this. Let the party begin. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Um, so before we can, before we wrap up and talk about you know what your current teaching activity and all that stuff is, is is there anything else along the lines of your life story that you you want to comment on or mention? Well, I think there's um, only. I think to say that when the stripping happened mm -hmm. in my life. Um, it was there was in my in in my mind was this is wrong this is not supposed to happen and i would say it might be just for many people it just might be this is part of the awakening process that there's a stripping and for me it went as far as stripping me of you know i was deeply involved with the many different spiritual traditions mm -hmm. I couldn't go to one more Sufi dance. I couldn't do Amma. I couldn't do nothing of this anymore. Like, mm. I have to. I was completely thrown into myself on my own. Mm. I didn't. And I couldn't even read one more spiritual book. Mm. I had to let go of all of it, and nothing of it made sense no more. And it was that feeling of, okay, even the concepts, even the traditions, even the forms, everything is taken. What is left when the fire has burned? That's when I just came to this. It's just the love, you know, that just that beautiful love that's there. Nice. And do you still feel that way? Like you just mm -hmm. feel like you don't need to go to anything or want to go to anything. You're just content in the love that's there. Yeah. yeah, I you know it, there was in and out of residing in it and then leaving it. You know, just like it's like this dance. Where's home? I just had it. It was gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like where did it go? Where's this love? So I had to do this many times, you know. And then sometimes it goes still in and out. Um, and it's but it's so much nearer, it's so much dearer, yeah. dear. I think yeah. everybody, everybody experiences that things come and go, and they and in the coming and going, they get more and more kind of mm -hmm. stabilized. Yeah, that's it. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All righty. You wrote a book, Nothing But Love, some nice poetry, very room, roomy-like. And um, you're working on a couple other books, which aren't published mm -hmm. yet, right? But they will mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. And then you live out there in Berkeley. So people obviously are watching this interview from all over the world. What can they do if they want to connect with you? How can you work with them? So what I do is I teach retreats, spiritual mm -hmm. retreats in different places. Mm -hmm. And some of them where I'm invited to. Mm -hmm. um, I've done that for about 30 years now mm -hmm. and 25 years. I teach also leadership and relating trainings, more on a conscious level, how to do it. And um, uh, so they can actually, they can see it on my website, on the events, what's coming up. And if people want me to come to the area, they can just contact me. Mm. And then I work with individuals and couples on <laughs> Skype and in person here in the Bay Area, mainly. So, yeah. My books, one of them is called Kissed by Fire, mm -hmm. and the other one is called um, Communion with Nature, Stories from the Wild. When will those be published? Probably by the end of the year. Okay, great. Yeah, so I will let them know. Yeah, and I do satsangs on, um, at the moment I do it much more online. Yeah. So I have a committed group. People can join to it as well. Okay. And you probably have an email sign-up thing on your website, so if people want to be notified of when your book is published or yeah. whatever, they can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Or they can just sign up. I don't write too many newsletters. I don't want to inundate people. Yeah. Once in a while. Once in a while, and they can just sign up. And, and we also do some sacred activism work here. Great. That's, I'm one of the leaders in the field there. Cool. Great. Well, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I, I think people watching will have enjoyed it also. Any kind of final words you want to say before we conclude? Well, what I want to say is that to keep returning to your own being. I know this is, these are old words, and, but keep feeling, feel what's in your heart here and follow that. And I don't mean that in a cliche way. I mean that in a really deep way. Mm -hmm. Just keep coming back to it and let let others touch you. Let touch others. We really need it in this time. Let's just stand up and speak out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Light that fire wherever you go. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. So I've been speaking with Nicola Amadora and. Um, as always, I'll have a page on batgap.com for this interview and uh, with a bunch of information about her and linked, links to her website and her book. And later on, you know, like later in the year when you publish your other books, let me know and I can add links to those on your page. Mm. Um, and as most of you know who are watching this, this is an ongoing series. Next week, I'll be speaking with a gentleman named Dwayne Elgin whom I find very interesting, and we schedule several months in advance. There's an upcoming interviews page on BatGap where you can see the people we have scheduled and hope to be doing this for many years to come. There's another page on BatGap you might want to check out, which is just called At a Glance, 
And if you just go there, you'll see a list of all the main features on the site, things you can sign up for or do or read or whatever. Uh, so do that if you like. And uh, I guess that's it. Rick, so, yeah, huh? I wanted to say thank you to you. My message was more for the people who are watching it, but to you I want to say thank you. You're doing such a beautiful job beautiful work that you're making available and it will like i mentioned in the email it will help many people to find their way in this jungle <laughs> yeah well i really enjoy it and uh, it's not like some big sacrifice or anything it's like i, I really love doing this in fact I, I got a email from a guy the other day who had been some kind of a psychotherapist or something in chicago and he said as a result of bat gap he's sold his practice, which was like this 3,000 square foot office space that had all these different yeah. therapists in it, and, and, uh, and gave away all his belongings and moved to India. He said, so thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> wonderful. <laughs> lives, you know? <laughs> it does. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, not nice to be disrupting people's lives like that, you know? <laughs> It's wonderful to hear such stories. I bet there's many of those stories. It would be nice to have a page on your website to write. You know, what was your what? You know, what impact? Well, we do have a page. Do we have a testimonials page? And there's a lot of stories like that. And so, if you feel like it, and people can watch, look, check out that testimonials page and read some of them. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and you. Your questions are really, um, I just want to honor you and the, yeah, just appreciate you for the depth of questions you're asking. Well, thanks. Um, you know, I always have this funny feeling after interviews that it could have been deeper, it could have been better. I didn't really do justice to the person. I, I kind of beat myself up a little bit, but um, somehow or other, people enjoy this. <laughs> and well, you really, yeah, I can sense it's really good. We are also in a nice flow with each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was beautiful. I I really appreciated your comments as well. Yeah. Um, to the several, you know, your perspective in it. Well, thanks. Okay. Well, thank thank you, uh, Nicola, and thanks to those who have been listening or watching. And uh, I'll see you next week. I'm actually going to put up another one uh, this Thursday which was recorded at the Science and Non-Duality Conference last October. I finally got, got permission to, to go ahead and post that. That'll be a, a group conversation with Locke Kelly, Mukti, who is Adyashanti's wife, and Francis Bennett, um, all about the Heart Sutra in Buddhism, the form is emptiness, emptiness is form. So that'll be going up Thursday and then um, next weekend, as I mentioned, Dwayne Elgin. So thanks for listening and watching. Thanks again, Nic Nicola, and we'll see you all next week.